welcome to episode 12 of Spinal Tap Minute, the podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and none more black guys the movie This is Spinal Tap, one magnificent minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Sean German of 5 com. And joining us once again, our special guest from the Star Wars Minute, Mr. Alex Robinson. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for coming back and hanging oh, out my for pleasure. another day. It's rocking. <laughs> yeah. So are we, we continue to rock on through to Minute 12. Minute 12 begins with our band on stage performing Big Bottom. And the minute ends with the band on stage performing Big Bottom. And in between, we get 60 glorious seconds of Spinal Tap on stage performing their big hit, Big Bottom. So this is really an exciting minute. There's there's a lot going on here. We get a lot of, of song. And a little background for those that, that maybe don't know or haven't dug into the Spinal Tap back catalog. Big Bottom is from their 1970 album, Brain Hammer. Brain Hammer. Hmm. Nice. Nice fact. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll have the quick note to begin that, he, that goes with the quick note that I ended yesterday. Around second nine or second ten, you get a good shot of Viv in his nautical mime black and white striped shirt, banging away on those keyboards, doing a great job supporting all the bass up front. Yeah. Uh, my husband, every time he saw him play that, he'd say, Laser Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's really hamming it up with the ticka 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 ticka, mm-hmm. very laser cat. Yes, yes, very yeah, very I, precise. I, I love that keyboard part, and it's you can tell this is a live recording because when on the official soundtrack album, that that keyboard part is is mixed. It's different where you can't hear it nearly as loud as you can mm-hmm. uh, on the live show. So uh, live music, yeah, live music, live music, good mix. Good bun action, good bass action, mm-hmm. a lot of good action. Yeah. Well, so, well, and it, sorry, go ahead, Alex. No, I was just saying this minute. Uh, speaking of bun action, uh, they refer to David refers to his loves, um, but as as mud flaps, <laughs> which I think has to be the most unflattering term for a butt possible. Yeah, I much prefer when he says, I love her each weekday, each velvety cheek day. Yeah. It's much more flattering. Mud flaps. Yeah, that mud flaps sounds more like a, oh, that rhymes kind of a mm-hmm. lyric. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there's some, some, some questionable decisions they've made. Yeah, so yeah, mud flaps, it just, it's not, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't evoke a positive image. And then uh, they also mention... My baby fits me like a flesh tuxedo. Yeah. Which makes me think of Silence of the Lambs. You know, <laughs> yeah, or Texas Chainsaw, whichever year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, velvety cheeks. Um, you know, my love gun's loaded. You know, big game is waiting there inside her tights. These are all very romantic, very flattering notions. Big game, but, <laughs> very romantic. <laughs> but when you're when you're talking about you know wearing your love like a flesh tuxedo, and uh, yeah, I th- and, and the the mention of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre is appropriate. I guess at this point they wouldn't know about about Hannibal Lecter and, and Buffalo Bill and 
and all that. But uh, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre would have been out and, and made its way across the sea to, to merry old England. So uh, yeah. Maybe and like they, uh, they do it. same way Poison, as we discussed yesterday, Poison <laughs> was inspired by the band. Maybe uh, Harris? I forget who wrote Tex- uh, Silence yeah, of the Lambs. But uh, maybe they were also inspired by... People People underestimate how huge this movie was mm-hmm. and what a big cultural impact it had. Very well, influential. Speaking yeah. of movies and cultural influence, I also just looked up what other movies came out in 1984. Hmm. I mean, a ton of them. I won't list them all, but just as a, oh my gosh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Beverly Hills Cop, The Terminator, Gremlins, Ghostbusters, Amadeus, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, (laughs) (laughs) which I I believe has never, still never been the final chapter, but The Karate Kid, Dune, Purple Rain. Wow. Wow. Romancing the Stone, Police Academy, Revenge of the Nerds, and I I mean a ton more. And I kind of, what I was noticing was like, oh, which ones I watched then, and then which ones I was sort of a late adopter. So like then, for instance, I was a total punk 70-year-old. I was a (laughs) 17-year-old punk kid, so Repo Man. That was right up my alley. Spinal Tap, too. But like Blood yeah. Simple, I didn't watch that until years later. Huh. I, I still don't think I've seen Blood Simple. Um, but Repo Man is a is a great movie and, and one that's aged very well, I think, as well as Spinal Tap has. So there's yeah, there's a lot of uh, good movies that, that have held up, I think, in that list. And then a lot of movies that were, were good movies that inspired less than good sequels, unfortunately. <laughs> and reboots. Yeah, but I, I won't name names. Well, we have Breakin, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, it's amazing how many good and iconic Children of the Corn. <laughs> Footloose. Wow. See, like, I've still never seen Footloose, Firestarter. Wait, I'm a, you, the, back the, up. The, you, you've never seen Footloose. Never seen Footloose. I've never but, seen Footloose. Oh, there you go. But I've seen 16 Candles probably 10 times. Never seen, I've never seen Police Academy, but I've seen Body Double. <laughs> so just <laughs> a cross section of, yeah. yeah, Amadeus I've seen, mm-hmm. but Once Upon a Time in America, never seen. I've never seen that either. Now, did, did Amadeus, does that win Best Picture at the Academy Awards? I believe so, but I did not look that up. So there was there was a lot of things happening movie wise coming out in 1984. Yeah, and quite a few of them that have made it to uh, movies by minutes. You know, the first two listed here are Ghostbusters and Gremlins, both both, and then Indiana Jones, yeah. all movies by minutes yeah. podcasts. So I think mm, interesting. 84 is a big movies by minutes year. Well, and and, Doom. and the uh, Police Academy was covered in the uh, that Steve Gutenberg podcast where they went through all the catalog of Steve Gutenberg. Are you serious? Or are you joking? No, that's a real. That's a, they didn't break it down minute by minute, but each episode was devoted <laughs> to a different Steve that's Gutenberg. That's great. That's great. I think it's I called like, "Gotta Love the Goot." I think <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing this the Stonecutters had something to do with that podcast. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So apparently, it's a a big year for. Uh, for movies by minute. Interesting. I hadn't realized that, but when you list it out like that. Yeah. And that was just a partial list. I had to cut myself off. 
Yeah, we've only got so much time here. We can't yeah. go through everything. So one of the interesting things, um, well, I don't know, was there anything more on, on the movies of 1984? No, I just thought I'd mention it just to kind of give a, I think, you know, once some time has passed, it's kind of hard to remember hmm. the culture of the day or what was going on. And just when I looked at how many iconic films came out in 1984, I just thought it was worth a worth a visit. Yeah. 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 I've got another history lesson. So I guess it sounds like we were both sort of on a similar wavelength in preparing for this minute. I did a little research into the, the venue. Most of the performances in the film were actually filmed at the Raymond Theater in Pasadena, huh. um, which is uh, well, what was a, a storied performance venue that uh, opened in 1921. And originally was uh, primarily vaudeville shows. In the 40s, they converted to movies and was sort of one of the premier fancy movie houses or cinema houses of, uh, of Southern California. And then in 76, they uh, switched back to music and, and live performances. And they're kind of around the block and down the street from uh, KROQ, K-Rock. Mm. In uh, there in Pasadena, and really kind of a little bit of a West Coast epicenter for punk rock and what became new wave. Um, they had a lot of bands from that sort of second British invasion, of which the return of Spinal Tap would have been uh, would have been part of. But you had uh, bands such as um, Bow Wow Wow, Billy Idol, Gang of Four, Depeche Mode, English Beat, all, all those kind of folks. Uh, played and then they also had Pretenders and Bruce Springsteen and then getting into uh, the 80s a lot of the hard rock and heavy metal bands and actually the the theater is uh, featured prominently in The Decline of Western Civilization uh, Part 2 and that's sort of a, a series of movies I think we've mentioned it earlier the the first Decline of Western Civilization focused on punk yeah. and then uh, the second one was on heavy yeah. metal and yeah, hair metal. And then a lot of those performances were filmed at the, the Raymond Theater as well. And I, I believe that's where they are for this performance, where it was actually filmed. I know it's uh, for purposes of the documentary, we're in Philadelphia, but in, uh, in real life, we're in Pasadena. And then uh, so really a, a, a landmark of music there that closed down in 1988. So it's, it's no longer a theater, but uh, there's some history there. That uh, you know that that Spinal Tap is just one of many bands to have have graced that stage. There's actually a nice little article on that as a little piece of uh, Pasadena history, and I'll uh, I'll put a link to that on the website so you folks can uh, can check that out and and learn a little bit. And I thought just reading some of the the performances, there were things like uh, like Wendy Williams blowing up a blowing up a car on stage, stuff like that. Some real crazy stuff went down um, in the, the 70s and early 80s. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Historic. Historic. Yeah, if those walls could talk. Because yeah. when you talk about the decline of Western civilization, <laughs> part two, the metal years, mm -hmm. I actually was going to bring that up, you know, just as a... You know, a nice companion to if you're going back and watching this as Spinal Tap for, you know, for the podcast, then that's another, you know, fun movie to go check out. And uh, the punk rock, uh, it, the punk rock scene for the first one is great. And then I've never seen the third one. 
The Decline 3 chronicles the gutter punks of the 90s. I think I was about done with all that by the 90s. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, other than Tap, I don't really, uh, and a handful of other songs, I don't really like uh, metal, but that that Western Civilization Part 2 is uh, a a staggering movie. Highly recommend it. Likewise. There you go. Well, that's, that's a nice little segue to a question that we've been asking all of our guests, that in addition to Spinal Tap and, of course, the, the aforementioned decline of Western civilization, Alex, are there any other uh, rockumentaries or musical documentaries that you're a fan of or that you might recommend to our listeners? Uh, sure. I'm a big Beatles fan, and uh, the I would say one thing that was instrumental in getting me, haha, thing to getting me to like their music was uh, the documentary The Complete Beatles, which mm-hmm. is now uh, sadly uh, out of print, but you can you know find it in your shadier corners of the internet, the dark web and such. <laughs> well, I don't know if you have to go that far. I was thinking more YouTube, but uh, or, you know, shady things. corners on the internet. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I generally, I like, I like, I enjoy reading and, and, you know, rock biographies and, and, and such. I'm trying to now, of course, I can't think of any other, uh, rock rockumentaries, but, uh, All right. well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. You can, no, no, it's a, it's no pressure. I should have, should have been better prepared. So, uh, <laughs> I've never seen the, um, I guess the last waltz is kind of what was, uh, Marty DeBerge is supposed to be kind of a Marty Scorsese kind of thing. Have you guys seen the last yeah, one? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would recommend that one. And I think these days the band is kind of speaking of lost to the sands of history, lost to the younger generation. And I think it's a, you know, great music, a, a great band, a lot of amazing talent on stage uh, in the band and, and special guests joining them for that final performance, but also great filmmaking. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's it's Marty Scorsese. I mean, it's no uh, it's no check wagon commercial, but it's it's good filmmaking. Um, <laughs> on, you know, so as a film and as as music, definitely worth checking out. The Last Waltz, if if you haven't seen that, to uh, you know, to the folks on the podcast and the folks listening at home, uh, worth checking out. Yeah, and speaking of of books, um, this book you know might be something that people haven't heard of lately, but it is really juicy and fun and does have a lot of details, which is that I'm with the band, the Pamela DeBars mm-hmm. book. She starts it it with some of her, I think, early diaries and things from being in high school and uh, kind of her first crushes with the Beatles. And, but then it, you know, she famously is this groupie and, uh, and part of a band and all this stuff but she's i mean it's juicy it's got a lot of backstage details because she dated or hung out with so many different bands throughout the late 60s and 70s so i do recommend pamela debar's i'm with the band it's really fun and i and i say i do recommend just because i think some people might think oh that's just kind of fluffy and silly but and it is a little fluffy and silly but it's also just it's really it's really in there if you want to feel like you're embedded in those scenes she has she has a lot of fun stories to share so that's my recommendation all right sounds good well getting back to the minute here mm-hmm. one of the things that i noticed was when um, we get a little glimpse of ian faith on the sidelines their manager is that he looks like um maybe he's uh, an alumni of rydell high <laughs> 
<laughs> He's got like a letterman jacket. You can yeah. see a glimpse of it here in second 32. And I know you can see it better in some other seconds, but that's the one I just breezed by. Yeah. He's wearing a, uh, yeah, like the the red varsity jacket with a white R. Yeah. Is that a, you think that's a intentional shout out? Who knows? Good, good question. I don't know, but uh, it definitely caught my eye. Ian is makes that, some. Is that, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I Ian was makes, just going to say, is that, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> is that maybe Riverdale? Maybe he's just a big uh, Archie fan. Hmm. Uh, Ian makes a lot of strange uh, costume choices throughout the movie. I think later on, it's not in this minute, but uh, skipping ahead a bit, he's wearing like a sort of uh, Izod shirt with a black leather vest. It's an, yes. odd, it's an odd combination, but uh, we'll save that for when we, when we get yeah. to Yeah, we'll get deep into that that whole look. Yeah, he does have they all they all have a lot of personal interesting style for sure. I was fortunate enough to get to see uh Spinal Tap in concert. Um, oh cool. In 2001, I believe. Yes. And um it was great. It was very uh kind of surreal because it was like they were guys pretending to be a heavy metal band and we were people pretending to be fans of that heavy metal band. <laughs> But we really were fans of that heavy metal band. And mm -hmm. uh, the only other really noteworthy thing about it was they uh, had an opening act, which was uh, the Folksman. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> great. Was, this was before uh, the, the Mighty Wind movie came out. And I don't think, I certainly didn't catch on at first that that was actually them. <laughs> and I remember them getting kind of a uh, kind of a mixed reaction from the crowd who was like impatient to see, you know, everyone hates opening acts already, but the fact that we're going to see Spinal Tap and then this folk trio comes out, it was kind of threw people for a loop. But I think people gradually caught on that that mm. it was them. But uh, I wish I had I wish I had paid closer attention. But uh, oh well. Right, Christopher Guest tells a story. I think it's maybe not the same concert, but the same tour where his son was in the audience and and didn't realize right away that uh, who that was in you know in the in the folksman. And that it was his his father, and it's an interesting choice to do that one. Just the mix of genres of the type of folks who turn out for a hard rock or you know a heavy metal concert who would go to see a band like Spinal Tap, and then this very traditional acoustic folk act, this trio, comes out and does their folk stuff. I can imagine the the reaction of the crowd. <laughs> But I, I admire that that kind of dedication on the part of uh, as musicians and as actors uh, and as I guess comedians, if you consider that a joke or if you consider that comedy, they're definitely committed. I think that's one one constant that we see through this movie, and then um, that Christopher Guest has ca carried forward with his troupe and and his. Um, movies of this style, these improvisational comedies that he does. It's it's all about the commitment that they they go all the way. Yeah, and what I what I notice as I'm watching this over and over again and being fairly familiar with most of these guys, especially um Michael McKean, is that when I look into his face here and look at him acting as a musician and then when he's on stage and then off, is that there's no similarity to this character and you know, his folksman character. There's no similarity to this character and him on Better Call Saul. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the act, 
that this acting is really good. <laughs> There's not this kind of like one person that sort of is the same person, whatever role he's playing. I mean, this guy's a fantastic actor. And they all are, but I just, I really zero in on his, when he's talking with, um, with Ian and the, um, and he's being so sincere as his, you know, his, as, as David, so earnest and sincere. Yeah. And in particular in these performances that the, the musicianship and that being, being musicians, they wrote these songs, uh, they performed when you buy the albums, these are the guys who are performing, they're really performing these songs on stage for the documentary. That's an important uh, for, and it's, it's a nice just visual thing for folks. If you play an instrument and then you see someone pretending to play that instrument, one, it's obvious. And then if, and then it just, I know, I know for me, once I notice that something's off, I can't look at anything else. That's all I notice is like, hey, wait, just the hands aren't matching the notes and, and stuff. Whereas for most of these performances, it's spot on to the point that they use it as, I'll say joke for lack of a better word, when when we've gotten those flashbacks of them performing on the, the cuts from the 60s and, and the, older, the older footage and it's out of sync, that it becomes so obvious hmm. um, when they're lip syncing and, and the, the, the film is out of sync with, with the music, that they make a point of it, that that's kind of like how bad that was. And then this is, and then the performances really strike a bit of reality. You know, you wonder how, when this came out, how could people be confused that this was a real band and a real documentary? But so much of what we're seeing, it was filmed as if it was real, and they're doing it, and not just the interview parts, that the performance parts on stage as well. That all all goes into making a great movie. Agreed. Three well, greed. Yes, three greed. We are all in a. We all agree here. Uh, anything else about minute twelve before we wrap up episode twelve of the podcast? I'm good. Well, I've got one last little thing. Okay. Um, and it's at the very end of the minute, around second 59, 60. One thing we noted earlier in the first performance on the tour of uh, when they're playing tonight, I'm going to rock you tonight. And we felt that the crowd was a pretty good mix, male and female, men and women. They got a broad range of fans. At the very end of this minute, there's a shot of the crowd. And I get the feeling it's at least close up to the stage that now they're, they're skewing a little bit more male. And I don't know if that's evolving as the tour progresses, <laughs> if it's the nature of the song that certain aspects of the audience are kind of attracted to rush the stage and others are fading back. But I feel maybe the mix in the crowd has started to shift a bit, that it isn't quite as even male-female-wise as it was in New York. Gotcha. Something to keep an eye on as the, the movie progresses. Uh, yes, as we progress through uh, various performances. And on that note, I think uh, ready wrap up minute 12. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us for episode 12 of Spinal Tap Minute. We appreciate Alex coming back for minute 12 and hope that we're lucky enough to have him stay for the rest of the week with us here. Uh, as usual, I'll just remind you, you can go to SpinalTapMinute.com and uh, that's the way you can find our links to subscribe and social media and all that good stuff and find our latest episodes posted up there. And you can also email us at SpinalTapMinute at gmail.com. 
Love to hear your opinion, what you think of the show, what you think of the movie. Drop us a line. And so, Alex Robinson, if folks want to hear more from you out there on uh, the darker quarters of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, probably the easiest thing is to go to StarWarsMinute.com. That's www.starwarsminute.com. And we do a uh, daily podcast in which we do what you guys are doing, but we do it about uh, the Star Wars movies. And we are currently, as of this recording, waist deep in Attack of the Clones. So... uh, you like, go back and listen to old episodes and listen to us talk about the empire strikes back or something yeah yeah excellent and, I, and if, if by any chance there happens to be someone who's listening to this who hasn't listened to star wars minute one where are you who are you how did that happen where and, and two <laughs> um, you know go listen they do a good job they talk about star wars i mean listen to us first but when you're done with spinal tap <laughs> give them a chance and I actually, I'm going to jump in. I have a little bit of a, my own uh, Star Wars Minute t-shirt story. Okay. Um, so, uh, as you've heard, at StarWarsMinute.com slash merch, you can buy all kinds of Star Wars Minute stuff, including shirts. And uh, this past week, I was wearing my Skabalba shirt at a ska show and got some props, got some notice from fellow audience members. And for folks that are not familiar, uh, Skabalba is... One of the pod racers from Phantom Menace. And uh, so the Star Wars guys have dressed him up like a rude boy and he's skanking. And now he's Skabalba. And I'm, I proudly wore my Skabalba <laughs> shirt to say Ferris, who are now on tour. I'll, I'll slip in since we're not making any money from this, but no reason other folks can't. Say Ferris is a wonderful third wave ska band that's touring for the first time in 15 years. And if they're coming to a town near you, you should check them out. And uh, before you do that, you should pick up a Skabalba shirt from StarWarsMinute.com slash merch and wear your shirt to the Save Ferris show. I could not agree so, yeah. more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Star Wars Minute bringing people together uh, one minute at a time and one T-shirt at a time. All right. And on that note, uh, please, uh, Heidi, come back tomorrow. Alex, we'd love to have you back for Minute 13 and you folks out in in podcast land. Continue to come back. Uh, And until next time, and so say all of us, tap tap into into America. America.